Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1. This is what the word of the Lord says. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will, will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. You know that sometimes we read uh, uh, a missions moment at this time where we get to hear reports about uh, different ones of our Southern Baptist uh, family who are um, blessed by your tithes and offerings, uh, our cooperative program that comes from that. Uh, This one's a little bit more personal. I got this letter this past week from, from a dear friend that we have been praying for, uh, he and his family. And his handwriting is terrible. So just bear with me as I try to read this letter. He says, Jim, I pray this letter finds you well. We are adjusting to life in South Asia day by day. As you would imagine, life here is very different. Now, understand that these, it's not a country like ours. They, they are free to read these letters and censor and, and freedom of religion is not a part of their their land. So it's somewhat vague in his letter. As you would imagine, life here is very different. That's not to say we aren't enjoying it. The climate here is oppressive. It's more than we expected, honestly. We are receiving the grace we need day by day. As a family, we are growing. Each 
morning as we eat breakfast, we're all studying the 52 questions published by Crossway. He knows how much I read, so he knows that I know what he's talking about there. For kids and families. By the way, these 52 questions are what our children are going to be studying on Sunday nights here starting this week. It is a joy to hear the kids grow. I am beginning to make contacts for work. It can be tough going without the language. He's still learning the language. Uh, But we are addressing that as well. We are... um, I'll just skip that sentence. I don't have the gift of interpreting um, what that is. Um, We are, we are, oh, we are starting with the alphabet. (laughs) Yeah, start with the English alphabet. We're starting with the alphabet and we'll move, uh, we'll, we'll move on from there. It is challenging to say the least. The word for you is, and he writes it out in, in that language. Uh, nevertheless, we are in need of support from on high. That's a specific way that we can pray for him. I told him that we are praying for tongues as the biblical understanding of what tongues is, that we are praying for the gift of languages for he and his family. Uh, we are working to embody the words from our older brothers, John and Mark. One said to remain and one said to remember that we are made to be with Him. Him, capital H. What joy in having, what joy in having there a great purpose to all this. Please greet the family for us. That's why I'm reading this to you. Please greet the family for us. We, though have not seen them face to face, consider each of them as partners in the labor. Their care and support means so much. Brother, I long for the day when I will see, when I will be with you again. May the grace of our great Father be with you. Please pray for and his family and remember that a portion of all of your tithes and offerings go to support our international missionaries, including. All right. I hope you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 13. I know that they automatically want to fall open to the book of Acts, but we'll just have to get them broken into, get your Bibles broken into a few other places. Uh, as Jacob mentioned, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, just reach into the back of the pew. Uh, the white, the, the one with the paperback with the white cover on it, that's the version that I preach out of, which is the English Standard Version. The verses will be on the screen, but I always encourage you to have a copy of God's Word open in your lap, whether that's an electronic copy or the paperback copy or your own copy. Uh, I encourage you to have uh, God's Word. Uh, we're starting this uh, series this morning, and uh, Lord willing, we'll continue this uh, for about seven weeks. Like I said, this morning we're starting uh, a new study about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, you see it referred in different ways, or referenced in different ways by different gospel writers and throughout the New Testament. Sometimes it's kingdom of God, sometimes it's kingdom of heaven. Uh, people have tried to make, some people have tried to make a big deal, like that's a distinction between those two. Um, there's not. They're synonymous. So anytime you see kingdom, I'll use them interchangeably. Uh, so just, just understand that. Um, 
So when you see kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it's referring to the same thing. When we finished our study through the book of Acts, there in the last few verses of chapter 28, Luke wrote that Paul he described what the rest of Paul's ministry looked like. He summed it up in one sentence. He said that Paul was, quote, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So really, if that was what Paul was doing with the rest of his life, then it only makes sense that that's what we should be doing with our life, is proclaiming the kingdom of God. Well, if we're supposed to proclaim the kingdom of God, we probably ought to know what that is. Shouldn't we? So that's what we're going to be looking at for the next seven weeks. Next seven weeks, there are eight parables in this section of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to squeeze that into about seven weeks of study. So that gives you some reading homework to be doing over the next several weeks. You can just read through over and over again Matthew chapter 13 so you have an idea of where we're going. But before we take a look at this first parable this morning, I think it's a good idea to understand what we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's one of those things that we throw around. We just sang, God build your kingdom here, and we see that the title of this series is the kingdom. We throw that word around a lot, but sometimes we don't really understand understand what we're talking about. Here's the simplest way that I can describe the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven to you. The kingdom of God describes God's rule over everything. Pretty simple, huh? It describes that God is ruling over everything. We understand that God created everything. We understand from Scripture that God sustains everything. He holds everything together. In Him, in Jesus, everything consists. Well, because God is Creator and because God sustains everything, that means that He is in control of everything. There's another word that we throw around a lot. We say that God is sovereign. That means that He's in control of everything. We use the word sovereign because that describes God as king. So God is king of everything. And kings rule over a kingdom. Wow, you see how I got that? Right? A brilliant deduction right there. But God rules over everything because He created everything and He's in control of everything. So everything, in that sense, is God's kingdom. But here's the problem. The problem is is that Adam and Eve sinned, right? Adam and Eve sinned, and not only did Adam and Eve sin, but every human being since Adam and Eve have sinned, including you and me. Everyone has rebelled against the authority, against the kingship of God. Because of that, because Adam and Eve sinned and everybody following has sinned, because of that, we're under a curse. We're under a curse of God. And under that curse, as part of that curse, God has given Satan the adversary, the fallen angel, Satan, he's given him limited authority. Notice I said limited. He's given him limited authority to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does that primarily through his main tool, which is lying. The Bible describes him as the father of lies. So that's where we are in this whole thing. The way that Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 describes it, it says that even though Jesus is on his throne, 
Hebrews 2.9 says that at present we do not see everything in subjection to Him. That doesn't mean that Jesus is not on the throne. That doesn't mean that God is not on the throne. It means that because of this fallen world, because of this curse that we're under, we don't see everything in subjection to Him. We're under the curse of sin, so that muddies everything. But even though it's muddied, even though we can't see Jesus in control of all things. Make no mistake about it, God is still on His throne. God is still King. Jesus is ruling and reigning everything. That's worth an amen if anybody's awake. Jesus is ruling and reigning. He's on His throne. God is still in control. Everything is still in subjection to King Jesus. When Jesus returns, and Jesus is coming back, amen? When Jesus returns, the things that we have held to in faith, we will see by sight. In other words, this understanding that Jesus is on the throne, even though we can't see it now, when Jesus returns, He will rule and reign where everybody can see. The curse will be lifted at that time and His kingdom will be completely fulfilled. For now, you can look at it like this. For now, the kingdom has been inaugurated. But at that time, when Jesus comes back, the kingdom will be consummated. In the meantime, in this period of time that we're in from the beginning, from when creation started until Jesus comes back, the second time. In the meantime, God has chosen for His kingdom to be mediated through His chosen people, through the people that He has called out and drawn to Himself. First, throughout the Old Testament, we see that His kingdom was mediated through His chosen people, Israel, this people that He called up out of nothing. And now, we see that His kingdom is mediated through His bride, the church. Here in Matthew chapter 13, we see kind of that transition as the kingdom being mediated through Israel to the kingdom being mediated through the church. And Jesus is explaining what that's going to look like when God's kingdom is mediated through His church. So this is to us. Whatever you've heard about these parables, and these are very familiar parables, if you've been in church at any time at all, you probably heard many of these. But I want you to understand, before we even start this study, I want you to understand two things about these parables. First, these parables are not like children's fables. They're not like Aesop's fables where they're just put there to teach us some sort of a moral lesson. They're not something that's put there that we read to our kids at night to get them to obey their parents or do nice things. No, these aren't fables. This is God's inspired Word. Not only are they not fables, the other thing I want you to understand is these are not for some time out in the future or some people out in the future. They're not for some people in the past. These are specifically for us. These are specifically for the church, but not only just for the overall church, these are specifically for us in our church, in our community, in our time. We have to see these as 
we have to apply these as Parkview Baptist Church, as individual believers in Parkview Baptist Church in Bluefield in 2019. So it's not a fable. It's not a myth story. And it's for us. So with that foundation, we're going to look at this first parable this morning. The content of the parable, Jacob read that whole section, but inside that section is the content of the parable. And let's look at that in verses 3 through 9. Starting in verse 3. And he, Jesus, of course, Jesus told them many things in parables, saying... Quote, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So after that, starting in verse 10, there's a little sidebar discussion that Jesus, remember, He's speaking to the great crowd, and then He pulls away and He has a little sidebar discussion with His disciples explaining why He's teaching in parables. We're not going to go into too much depth about that this morning. We can have that discussion this evening in our New Life Gathering uh, when when we gather, when all of us gather to that. Amen? Yeah, yeah like three people, amen that. <clears throat> But anyway, he has this little sidebar discussion about what parables are, and then he moves from that into explaining. This is one of the rare cases where Jesus actually explains what the parable means. He's explaining it to his disciples away from the great crowd in verses 18 through 23. So let's read that. Skip on down to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. When Jesus tells this, tells this story, tells this parable, he focuses on three main things. The first thing that he focuses on is the first thing that we see, and that's the sower. In verse 3, he says, a sower went out to sow. And then in verse 18, he says, hear then the parable of the sower. That's why many of your translations off to the side of this will say that this is the parable of the sower, because that's what Jesus said. He's talking about the sower. Well, it only makes sense if you're going to tell an agricultural story, a story about planting things that grow, you're going to start with the one who sows the seeds. Well, it seems obvious on the surface, but we need to ask ourselves the question, who is this sower that he's talking about? Is he talking about Jesus? Is that who the sower is? Or is he talking about believers? Is that who the sower is? Well, are you ready for some profound 
learning up in this place. Right? The sower is the one who sows seeds. Period. See, that's what we got to be careful of when we're looking at parables. We got to see what the parable says and see what it means for itself. And we got to be careful with trying to extrapolate so many things out of the details of the parable because that's not why Jesus told it. Jesus didn't identify himself as the sower. Just read this thing for what it says. He didn't limit the role of sower to himself. So we can't do that either. Now, was Jesus a sower? Of course he was. At the very beginning of his ministry on earth, in Matthew chapter 4 verse, verse 17, the Bible says, from that time Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was at that point, after his baptism, after his public declaration of his ministry, it was at that point that Jesus began to be a sower. He began to sow seeds. And then after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, he passed that responsibility on to us, onto his church. You remember in Acts chapter 1, way back in Acts chapter 1, you remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, Jesus said, or the Bible says that he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So as soon as Jesus appeared to them, He began explaining to them that this is what the kingdom of God is. And then down in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He told them that this is what you're supposed to be witnesses of. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in all Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what we're saying is that just as Jesus was a sower... He has called us, He has commanded us, those of us who are following Him will be sowers. Now wait a minute. Did did I say will? Or did I say should be? Or did I say might? Or ought to be? That's not the way Scripture reads. Those of us who are following Jesus, in other words, those of us who have trusted Him as Lord and are obeying what our Lord told us to do, will be sowers. So this is talking about all of us. This is talking about each of us who trusted Jesus. We're to be sowers of seed. Okay, so that brings on the next question. What seeds are we supposed to sow? That's the second thing that Jesus focuses on there in verse 19. He says that the seeds are the word of the kingdom. Oh, okay. Let's close it up and go home. Seeds the word of the kingdom. We got that, right? What in the world does that mean? Word of the kingdom. Well, the word of the kingdom is the word that Jesus proclaimed. It's the word that Paul proclaimed. It's the word that Jesus told us about in Luke chapter 22, verses 44 through 47. As he was speaking to his disciples, then he said, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, in other words, everything that's in scripture must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand what? The scriptures. 
And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, uh, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So what seeds are we supposed to sow? The gospel. The good news of Jesus as it is reported in scripture. The good news of Jesus. Gospel seeds. That's what our seeds are. In other words, we sow seeds, according to that passage in Luke chapter 24, we sow seeds that open people's minds up to help them to understand what the Scripture says about Jesus. We sow seeds by telling people, thus it is written. It's not some story that we make up. It's what's here, what's given to us. We sow seeds by proclaiming the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and why it was necessary. We sow seeds by calling people to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus in forgiveness in His name. So the sower is all believers. The seed is the gospel. So great, we we know that we as believers are supposed to sow gospel seeds. So the next question is, is how do we do that and where do we do that? To answer that, we we need to notice how the seeds were spread, the spread of the seeds. Now, if I was to stand up here and tell you from my own personal experience how you're supposed to garden or how you're supposed to be a farmer, then you'd look at me and say, "Mm, you don't know what you're talking about. Because I've tried to do the garden thing. Um, (laughs) Let's just say I'll stick to preaching. Um, Yeah, I can get things to grow, but the things that I can get to grow are the things that most people cut down. Those are weeds and briars. Now, those grow in abundance, but I can't get the stuff that you're supposed to get to grow. I can't get that to grow. If I plant it, it's going to die unless it's a weed. So I don't know anything about being a farmer. But I do have enough sense to know, because all of y'all who are gardeners, every time I say that I'm not, you tell me how I'm supposed to do it. So I know how it's supposed to be done. How it's supposed to be done is you're supposed to you're supposed to work really hard to prepare the soil, right? You get it all tilled up and you get it all, all of that kind of stuff, get the soil prepared and fertilized and rocks out of it and all of that kind of stuff. And then after you get the soil perfectly prepared, then, then you make these rows in it. And inside those rows, you carefully plant your seeds or your little starter sets or whatever. You carefully plant those things in there. And then you fertilize and you weed and you water and you do all of that kind of stuff until the deer come and eat everything. That's why I go to the farmer's market. Thank you. But that's how that it's supposed to be done. Not the way that this sower did it. (laughs) Look at how this sower did it. He just took his seeds and threw them everywhere. Sidewalk? No problem. Rocky soil? Ah, sure, we'll throw it there. Stuff where the briars, look, he threw some on my place, (laughs) where the briars and the weeds are coming. Ah, we'll throw seeds there. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll find a spot that's already prepared and we'll throw some seeds on that too. If you're looking for efficiency, (laughs) this sower was a far cry from efficient. He wasn't doing it the way you're supposed to be doing it. He wasn't worried about efficiency. The point is, a gospel sower 
sows seeds everywhere they go. Regardless of the condition of the soil. Well, isn't it a waste of time to share the gospel with Muslims and Mormons and atheists? You know, they're not going to listen to us anyway, so why should we waste our time with that? And what about drug addicts and homosexuals and alcoholics and people living in the depths of depravity? Well, you know, we don't, they, they might mess up our church. Where did the sower spread his seed? He spread it everywhere. Everywhere. That means everywhere from Crescent View to Sedgewood. That means everywhere from Union Street to Briarwood. That means everywhere from a country club to a college to a crack house. He spread gospel seeds everywhere. You know, we sing a song at Christmas, don't we, Joy to the World? Well, that's what the gospel is, is spreading joy to the world. And as we sing that song every Christmas, does it ever sink into our heads when we sing joy to the world and we sing as far as the curse is found? That's where we're supposed to spread gospel seeds. Every opportunity we get with every person, we have opportunity to share. Everywhere we go. Jesus said, He who has ears, let him hear. So as a sower, when you take hold of your gospel seeds, when you reach into your gospel pouch and you pour out your gospel seeds and you're faithful to spend your life spreading those seeds everywhere and you, and you dedicate your life to spreading those seeds everywhere that you go, then that means that you're always going to get to see kingdom fruit, doesn't it? No, that's not what the passage says, is it? You're not necessarily going to get to see fruit everywhere that you scatter seeds because it depends on the soil. And you'll notice four types of soil in, in the story that Jesus tells. Verse 4 says that the first place that the seed landed was along the path or along the sidewalk or on the blacktop. And as I said, I'm not a gardener, but I know that tomatoes don't grow on the blacktop. Amen? They, they don't. If you throw seeds on the sidewalk or if you throw seeds out in the parking lot, something's gonna, they're either gonna blow away or something's gonna come pick them up before they can ever possibly take root and grow. Some people that you spread gospel seeds with will simply refuse to receive it. They're just gonna, it might be the ones that says, well, you know, that's your truth, but this is my truth. Or that's fine for you, but... Or they might get mad at you. I am amazed. I am amazed at how many people can sit and listen to somebody pour out their heart. Pour out their heart teaching and preaching and proclaiming the Gospel. Proclaiming the eternal consequences of sin and the wonderful redemption that's offered in Christ. They can hear that week after week after week after week and then willfully, consciously choose to remain in their sin. It amazes me that that can happen. But it does. It does. And when that happens, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to keep throwing the seeds. We don't give up. We still spread seeds. 
we spread heartbroken, tear-soaked seeds. Second place that the seed landed was on the rocky ground. And when it describes the rocky ground, it's not ground that has rocks in it. It was like a, like a little bit of topsoil over a shelf of rock. It's the kind of soil that when you look at it, it looks fine from the surface, but just under that surface is the hard shelf of cold stone. There's just enough soil on the top of that for a seed to take root and to begin to sprout and begin to grow. From above ground, when that happens, everything looks great. It looks like that you're going to have some fruit-bearing plants there. But before the plant can get to the point where it can bear fruit, the heat and the dryness of real life causes it to wilt and dry because there's no root to it. Listen. Just because somebody seems to receive the gospel doesn't mean that they're really saved. There are plenty of people all around us who've walked an aisle or prayed a prayer or got really excited at a revival meeting, even got wet in a creek or a baptistry somewhere, who were lost. They're lost. Not because they lost their salvation, they're lost because they were never really saved in the first place. They might have believed a false gospel. They might have trusted Jesus as a, and just tried to add him onto their life as a way to get him out of hell. I saw a, a, a gospel tract at the gas pump the other day that was a, was a monopoly card that said, get out of hell free. That is not the gospel. Sorry. But there are people all around us who have said, okay, I can make mental assent that Jesus is this person as long as I get that get out of hell free card. They might have believed in a sin forgiving Jesus without bowing to Jesus as Lord and Master and King. You need to understand something. Jesus will not be your Savior without being your Lord. Unless you're following Him, He's not your Lord. And if He isn't your Lord, He isn't your Savior. What did Jesus say? He said, you will know them by their what? By their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. If a person bears no fruit of salvation, then as far as we can tell, they're lost and on their way to a sinner's hell. And if you hold up a mirror to your own life and you see that you're not bearing the fruit of salvation, then you need to be concerned whether you're really saved or not. But when we see that, we don't give up. We don't say, well, you know, they're just the way they are. When we see that, we continue to scatter gospel seeds. We don't spend our time fussing at a lost person about how they're acting like a lost person. We spread gospel seeds. We tell them about Jesus. Rock-busting seeds. The third place the seed landed was among the thorns. You know, when you, when you see this description of the seed among the thorns, these people are very similar to the rocky ground folks. They, they hear the gospel, they come to church, they get excited, they make professions of faith, they might even get baptized, but they haven't accepted Jesus as Lord. 
And when Jesus is not Lord of all, then He's not Lord at all. And when Jesus is not Lord at all, then He's not Savior of anything. For these people, work or school or family or hobbies or sports or money or recreation or a thousand other things take priority in their life. Priority over Jesus. And the Bible says that when you put anything in priority over Jesus, do you know what that is? It's an idol. Now, wait a minute. An idol, that's a little carved thing you put out and you worship and put incense on. No, worship can be football practice. Worship, I mean, idolatry can be football practice. It can be band practice. It can be your job. It can be your wife. It can be your husband. It can be your children. Anything that you elevate and put in the position where only Jesus should be is an idol, even if it's a good thing, even if it's your spouse, even if it's your kids. This this plant that grows in this thorny soil, it quickly springs up, but before it can get to the point where it bears fruit, it gets choked out because all the other concerns and cares and all of those other things drown it out by the thorny idols of life. And when we see that, we don't give up. We still continue to scatter seeds. We scatter weed-killing seeds, but we scatter seeds. The fourth place that the seed landed was the only place that it took root and bore fruit. That means that only one out of the four places that the sower spread gospel seed actually saw salvation take place. The sower, he saw rejection. He saw a lot of false converts. But when he kept faithfully spreading seed, he got to see real fruit. He got to see some people really get saved. And that fruit produced seeds. And those seeds produce other fruit. That's how the kingdom grows. That's what the whole point of this parable is, is how does the kingdom grow? The kingdom grows slowly. Slowly through the reproduction that comes from faithful believers planting gospel seeds everywhere they grow. And as those believers sprout and begin to bear fruit, then they plant their seeds and on and on and on. And it grows that way. Slowly, faithfully. Now everybody in here is going to look at this parable from one of two perspectives. If you're a believer here this morning, then I want you to look at this parable from the perspective of the sower. From the perspective of the sower, is your pouch full of gospel seeds? In other words, do you know enough Scripture? Do you know enough of the Bible to be able to share the gospel with somebody? Because Jesus said that's the foundation, that's what the gospel is that we're sharing is His Word. Do you know enough of that to have gospel seeds, to have your pouch loaded with gospel seeds? And no matter how full your pouch is, are you spreading those seeds everywhere you go? I don't just mean are you inviting people to church. I love it when when we invite people to church, and please continue to do that. But what I'm talking about is Sharing the gospel with people. Talking to people about Jesus. 
His death and burial and resurrection. What salvation is, why they need it. Are you telling people that apart from Christ, they're lost without any hope in the world? Are you telling people that the only real hope that we have in this world, that we have for forgiveness and redemption is provided through the blood of Christ that He shed on the cross? Are you telling people that? Are you telling people that Jesus lives today not just to sit off in the distance in heaven, but He lives today to give us new life in Him, to live in us and with us and through us? Uh, are you are you sharing with people that all that they have to do to have this new life in Christ is receive the mercy and grace and love and friendship of Jesus that He has freely offered? Turn from their sins and turn to Jesus, believing that He is who He said He is and that He did what He said He did. Are you sharing that with people? That's what I mean. When's the last time you shit, you spread those kind of seeds? Well, if you're not a believer here this morning, then you need, you can't look at it from the perspective of the sower. So I want you to look at this parable from the perspective of the soils. Let me put it this way so there's no confusion. If your life is marked by the works of the flesh and not the fruit of the Spirit, you're not a believer. You're lost. I don't care what kind of experience you've had in the past. I don't care what church role your name is on. If your life is marked by the works of the flesh and not the fruit of the Spirit, then you're lost. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 24, if you're wanting to know what that looks like, Paul gives us a contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. First, he describes the works of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are, what's that word? Evident. It means that they are an evidentiary part of your life. It's not a one-time mess up. It's this is, if somebody was identifying your characteristics, this would be the characteristic that you're known by. And the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. By the way, there was a politician that just declared himself a candidate this week, and he said that his relationship with his husband is a gift of God in his life. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. As believers, we should recognize that. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Remember we described what idolatry is? Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He includes things like these so that We're not tempted to make a list of these things and say, nope, I don't do that one, I don't do that one. But how close can I get without doing that one? Things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, those who their lifestyle is evidentiary of these things, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If your life is marked by being ruled by your passions and desires, then you need to be concerned about your salvation. Now with that description still on the screen, that passage still on the screen, I'm going to ask you, what kind of soil have you been? If your life is marked by the works of the flesh, then you're one of those first three soils. Now, if you're the sidewalk type, you might just be getting mad and just want to walk out of here. You probably aren't here if you're the sidewalk type. You might be listening, but you're not here. If that's the case, we need to reach you where you are. But you might be the rocky soil or the weedy soil. You might have had a religious experience one time and you've been trusting in that. You've been marking that as evidence of your salvation. You might have walked an aisle or you know, came forward during a VBS or something like that and you're marking that as the evidence of your salvation. And because of that, you think you're saved. You might even come to church regularly. You might even sit in here week after week after week. But... You've just tried to add Jesus and religion into the mix of your over-busy life or you've been so overcome by grief and difficulties and despair that you've given up on the idea that Jesus can do anything with you. Well, if any of that describes you, I want you to know one thing this morning. First, I want you to be convicted by that. But then I want you to know in verse 9 what Jesus told the crowd. In verse 9, He said, He who has ears... Let him hear. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. So if that's you, if you are any one of those first three soils here this morning, no matter what kind of soil you were when you came in here, you have heard the words of Christ this morning. I have spread, done my very best to spread gospel seeds. So no matter what kind of soil you were when you came in here, you can be good soil now. You're not locked into whatever kind of soil you were. You can be good soil now. All you have to do is receive the gospel seed that has been sown. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus as your Lord and Master and Savior and friend. And when you do, you will bear fruit. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the way that Your Word exposes us. Oh, the way that Your Word exposes us, oh, it can sometimes be painful. Father, as believers here, I I think that many of us have been exposed for our lack of faithfulness in sowing seeds that You've called us to sow. But Father, for some of us in here, I know that Your Word has exposed us to the fact that we might have been claiming to be a believer, but we're really rocky soil or thorny soil. 
done a good job of looking like a fruit-bearing plant without bearing any fruit. So Lord, however Your Word has exposed us this morning, Father, I ask that Your Spirit would draw us to Christ. Father, that Your Spirit would open our ears to the Word that was preached. And as Your Spirit opens our ears to the words that was preached, Father, would Your Spirit take our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh? Would You replace that stony, weedy, thorny soil with good soil that can receive Your Word? And Father, as You do that, Father, would we bear the fruit of salvation? Lord, if there's anyone here who needs to confess Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior, I ask that today would be the day of their salvation. Father, I ask that Your Spirit would do the work that only You can do in this place. In Jesus' name, Amen.